Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Welcome in, friends. It's episode four of our spring series for 2022 as we head into the final weekend of March. Hard to believe we're there. And it looks like winter's revenge is heading into the Great Lakes and Northeast as we go through this weekend and early part of next week. We'll talk to our chief forecaster, John Porter, about that in our final segment. But in our first rays of focus this week, one of the most debated subjects of our time right now. Should we or shouldn't we go to permanent daylight savings time? I've got differing points of view. I've got experts on concerns and we'll explore the issues in depth. So friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. You know, a week ago Tuesday, when my partner Joel told me that the Senate had unanimously passed a bill to make daylight savings time permanent, I kind of scratched my head. I mean, was he mixing up a story that he heard and he heard something wrong? Because nothing in politics is that clear cut right now. And especially in my experience, this is a topic that elicits all different kinds of opinion. And I think that is even more true since the pandemic. See, I come at it from a selfish point of view. I have to get up around 2.30 or 3 a.m. each weekday morning to do what I do. And I personally love the earlier the sunrise, the better. I get my energy from that in the mornings. And... You know, in the heart of summer, I don't like the late sunrises. It's harder for me to go to bed as early as I want to to get good rest. So I have always been a strong proponent, a vocal advocate of no time change because that time change back and forth, that really messes up my rhythm for about a week or two. I've always pushed standard time the whole time. So here we are now a couple of weeks into that center proposal, and it seems like there's a lot less unanimity in the political world, about pulling the Senate proposal off, rather than just giving some personal or political points of view up front, I wanted to get some expert opinion on what uh, people's thoughts are in terms of a couple of different angles. First, I want to see how much my valuation of sunlight in my life is. I continue to see news and studies all the time about the importance of sunlight and its rhythm to our health. So I first want to welcome in Dr. Jocelyn Chang. She is a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine to give us some medical points of view on the idea of time change or keeping one time permanent and how that will affect our lives going forward or not. Here is Dr. Jocelyn Chang on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. My name is Jocelyn Y. Chang, MD. I am a neurologist who has specialized in sleep medicine as well as epilepsy. Um, sleep medicine is, of course, what brings me here. I am a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, which is a national organization 
that uh, you know provides research and education into sleep and all of its related facets. And I'm a member specifically of the Public Safety Committee, which is what brings me to this conversation because the timing of the day, this daylight savings time versus standard time is something that impacts our health and I think is under-recognized. I couldn't agree with you more, Doctor. And let, let's start at the conversation there. As I told you before we started the interview, I think um, I was really shocked when I heard that the Senate unanimously passed this bill from their end to move to standard daylight savings time. Look, I'm a proponent because of my schedule. I get up consistently 2.30, 2.45 in the morning to do my job. And, you know, I think, uh, as we all know, folks that have that kind of sleep pattern or a set in sleep pattern, it can't really deviate too much. It, it kind of throws their body out of whack. And I know a lot of people say to me, oh, one hour doesn't make a difference. Well, for the natural circadian rhythms, I think it does. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the biggest thing to me, Dr. Chang, is for me, I, in the mornings, look forward to getting into that sunlight. Maybe just the way I was raised, maybe just the way I am. I like the sun. I like to be out in it. I think uh, we've seen benefits of the sun health-wise and other factors of recent late. I think all of that is really important when we think about this issue. So let's start with that. Natural circadian rhythm as someone who's a sleep expert. How important to that is our life? And have we really lost our way in that in our society here in 2022? Well, let's start with natural circadian rhythm. Um, our body runs on biological clock and that natural cycle expects us to have exposure in to light in the morning and to have decreasing exposure as the day progresses. And so when we're talking about something like a switch to daylight saving, where we're losing an hour of light in the morning and gaining an hour of light in the evening, and actually flies against the face of our body's natural rhythm. And that natural rhythm doesn't just regulate our sleep and wake cycles, but it's an integral part of other functions of our body. So there have been multiple studies looking at metabolism, cardiovascular health, and all of those are impacted by these changes to our circadian cycle. So that's why it's so important, again, not just for sleeping and waking, and of course that is extraordinarily important because that is how you start your day, but because of the other health consequences that can occur as a knockdown effect, both in the immediate and the long-term setting. To me, it's, it's just such a natural thing. As soon as it starts to get brighter, I start to feel more engaged with life, engaged with things going on around me. And some of this may be because I don't live in a very urban area. The area I live is more kind of uh, suburban, rural. And so I don't have as much artificial light. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, we have such a dichotomy of opinion in not only this issue, but other issues is because we have such a dichotomy in the way people live. I think urban people get a lot of artificial light all night long. And, and it's not as something that maybe they feel the darkness like those of us that live out away from those urban centers do. Does that does that make sense to you in terms of the way our minds are playing tricks on us and those kinds of things? In the ways that we're used to living with socially, I think that those circumstances, you 
try to or you tend to accommodate to what you're used to, but that doesn't make it natural. So for for example, your experience about waking up in the morning, having that exposure to light, having it kickstart your day, there's a reason you feel that way. It's because that's why we're biologically wired. That's the way our circadian clock is structured. So it's not just because you live in a perhaps more rural compared to urban area. That's because that's the body's natural rhythm. The changes in light exposure that we have throughout the day, especially with artificial light at this point, it can actually be detrimental to our health. And there was, a, in fact, a recent um, study that was done where people were exposed to what would be considered sort of more natural dim light situations in the evening and one where they were exposed to brighter light situations in the evening. And when they looked at markers of cardiovascular health and uh, what we call sympathetic function um, in the body, they found that there were adverse consequences for those who were more exposed to brighter light in the evening. So while we may not even be aware that these things are going on, because we don't feel their immediate impact, they are. We're talking with here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com, Dr. Jocelyn Chang. She's from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, and she is uh, talking to us about the, 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 the physiological and medical implications of the later sunrise and the later sunset. Uh, let, let's go back. I mean, because uh, there, there's three options. One is... We do what we've been doing, which is making the time change in the spring to get that little extra light, an hour extra in the summer months, and then go back in the fall. Um, we There's the option of what the Senate proposed, which was uh, once we get into daylight standard, uh, savings time that we stay there all year round, or there's the option of we stay in standard time all year long. We're, you know, There are areas of the country to do that, parts of Indiana. Parts of Arizona do that because they're in the western parts of their time zone. And, you know, with the daylight savings time, they're, you know, light at nine, you know, lights late in the morning and then goes to like 10 o'clock at night. It's just out of whack. So from the change standpoint, is that a problem? I I hear some people say, oh, Dean, you're just sensitive because you're locked in. But I work shift work and I have to change my schedule all the time. So, you know, your one hour change, you shouldn't be grousing as much. Is that I mean, if we went back to at least changing it just, you know, twice a year and kind of did the extra time on the summer months at the end of the day in terms of extra daylight at the end of the day, is that problematic from a medical standpoint? Or is it just more so you think from the later sunrises and the later sunsets? It is problematic anytime you change your circadian rhythm. So that's why we feel so out of sorts when we travel different time zones, for example, right? Even traveling a one hour and, you know, certainly more than one hour difference in a time zone will completely throw off your, your, the way you feel, not just your sleep wake cycle, but you know, your appetite changes. Um, You might feel groggier. Um, There are effects such as that. So having that switch at any point is stressful. And that's why the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, along with other medical organizations, are really advocating retaining a permanent time. The difference between our position and the Senate vote recently, however, is that what we advocate is standard time rather than daylight savings time. And again, standard time which means that we would be getting an hour more of light in the morning and an hour less of light in the evening, which follows along with our natural body rhythm rather than something that was 
artificially concocted during World War One for energy savings by man. And also, I mean, there was a, an agricultural component to it. And I did understand when we were a much more agrarian society than we are now to, you know, they wanted to be able to to do things out in the fields a little bit longer in the summer. And I do understand that. But we, we're such a different scenario now. And I would contend if you look at the traffic patterns and the, the way lifestyle is, especially since the pandemic, um, that things are all topsy-turvy now. There's so much more traffic even in the midday afternoon and well into the nighttime hours, even though midnight, one o'clock, some of these areas, urban areas are getting traffic jams that they didn't use to get that late at night because people are just, they're all over the road now. So as a medical professional, is that, is it getting harder and harder to assess what's good and bad? Because just everything Dr. Ching is so jumbled up between the pandemic and now we're throwing this uh, situation into the mix with possibility keeping daylight savings times. It's got to be hard to be a doctor with everything going on right now. It is, it is challenging, but it does make for interesting challenges, um, and hopefully we're able to learn from them and grow from them. Um, it's, you know, speaking about a couple of things, you know, you mentioned, for instance, Indiana, which retains its, um, or parts of it at least, retain its, its uh, time year-round on permanent time. Um, aside from these health consequences that we've been speaking about, there are other sort of more practical effects of this. So, for example, several years ago, they looked at um, Indiana school districts that kept their permanent standard time versus daylight savings time because it was different depending on what area of the state you were in. Right. And they looked at SAT scores relative to the time changes of the year. So daylight savings time and then the fall fall ahead time. And they actually found that the scores were significantly lower for those during the time period of daylight savings. And that's not an immediate consequence, right? Because it's not like everybody took their SAT the next day. This was, you know, a couple weeks, a couple right. months, but around that time period. So I thought that was, you know, really interesting sort of practical effect of how it can affect people's learning, for example. Of course, too, the, the other thing is if people aren't as alert in the morning, I mean, think of all those kids that are going to be out um, around getting to school, back and forth school, standing at a bus stop, or walking to school um, in a lot more darkness for a lot longer in their school year through the morning in their and their wait out there. I mean, so there's that aspect to it as well. So there is that aspect of it of it. And in addition, the younger that um, these folks are, so we're talking about people who are their teenagers, they tend to be phase delayed, meaning they typically tend to have sort of a later time period when they wake up and a later time period when they go to sleep. That's why there's been a movement in recent years to delay school start times because it's known that that's their biological clock. And if you can delay school by 30 minutes or an hour, it actually helps with learning. And with daylight savings, it's going to be similar to that because what happens is that you have them starting earlier in their day than their biological clock is ready for, and that can impact their learning. Yeah, we were just talking about that in the office. It seems to me since uh, I, I'm in my mid-50s now, 
I do it meteorologically. I just say like the highs in the mid fifties, my ages <laughs> in the mid fifties. I feel like now they're going to school much more earlier. And I think a lot of it is a kind of a to sync to the parents' time schedule in terms of what they're doing and getting them out the door almost the same time the parents need to go out the door. So yeah, I think uh, we're, we're out of whack in a lot of ways. And I don't know that this is the solution to get us back, back in whack. I, remember that I would concur. Right. And, um, you know, many medical experts would agree with you. Again, we do believe and we, we support the change to a permanent time rather than having our bodies be exposed to stressors, increased inflammatory markers, all of these um, consequences of circadian changes. But we advocate standard time for all the reasons that we're talking about. Um, I think a second point that you had brought up before was something touching upon motor vehicle traffic. And that's another very uh, solid real fact that occurs with the switch from to daylight savings time. So when they've looked at the incidence of motor vehicle collisions that occur, they found that there's a significantly greater incidence of them right after the daylight savings time switch compared to the fall time switch, which is standard time. Right. And I think that that is a significant thing for us to take into account as well. Yeah, we were remarking there were some places today that it was rainy, but it wasn't terrible. But yet there was an exceeding amount of crashes just uh, as we're recording this interview. So interesting stuff. Dr. Cheng, uh, we've run out of time, but I really appreciate this. Thanks uh, for being with us. Dr. Jocelyn Chang. She's from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Anything you want to add before we take this into a different direction? I would encourage people to educate themselves about the difference between daylight savings time and standard time so that they know what the consequences actually mean to their daily lives, both for them and their loved ones. Not to assume that you're just getting an extra hour of daylight because it's you're not getting anything extra. You're just shifting the time of it. Dr. Cheng, thanks so much for joining us here on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you. We've got links on our notes section in our podcast here uh, if you look down below. But um, if you'd like to go to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine's website, it's aasm.org. Thanks so much to Dr. Cheng. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and get some information about this from a traffic standpoint and understand that there's some different thinking in other parts of the industries. And we welcome in Michelle Anderson, Director of Operations for the National Road Safety Foundation, to talk a little bit about what her organization's thoughts are about this subject here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Michelle, thanks for being with us here today. Give me a, a thumbnail sketch of what the National Road Safety Foundation does for us as you're based out in New York City. What does it do for the average consumer, average driver, average traveler in the United States on a given day? So the National Road Safety Foundation, we are a nonprofit organization that raises awareness about driving, safe driving, making the right choices on our roads, just overall safe driving behavior. We're not very heavy uh, database driven, although we do uh, work with organizations such as the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and CDC and all those others um, in order to get our information to feed to the public 
about how they can be a better driver on the roads. So we're just preventing car crashes as best as we can by raising awareness and changing behavior. You know, quite honestly, um, the last couple of years have seen a total upheaval in people's behavior in terms of the way they drive or the way they don't. As you are well aware, uh, Michelle listens to us on 1010 Winds every morning in New York City and, and the AccuWeather forecast. But, you know, the, the, the morning commute in New York City is much different than it used to be. The, the, the real traffic fund sometimes doesn't start till midday and it can go even longer than it used to before. There's not these kind of compact times of heavy travel anymore. It can then, and even on the weekends, I mean, I was down around DC. Obviously, there were some things going on with protests and stuff, but there was tremendous traffic jams in and out of that area over the weekend that we weren't, I think, seeing just a few years ago. So it's got to be an interesting time for you all to try to help people um, navigate some of these changes in what they're used to and uh, how to do that safely with uh, different diving times and styles now since the pandemic. It is very interesting um, and surprisingly During the pandemic, car crashes increased a whopping 25%. I don't know if you um, were watching the news or if you you should know you with 1010 uh, wins, but um, we've heard it uh, that car crashes have gone up significantly within the past year during uh, the time when we would think that everyone was in their homes and, you know, not in their vehicles. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people took to the roads and they disregarded a lot of the the laws that we have in place to keep people safe on our roads. So I'm, I'm seeing evidence of that every day, disregarding laws and norms, you know. Passing on the left used to be something that, you know, was drilled into your head by your driving instructor. You know, you you yes. go to the left to pass. Well, now people just camp out in the left lane. They don't care what speed they're going. And Absolutely. I'm seeing too many dangerous passes on the right. A lot of uh, people that are, are are trying to rely on their self or nearly self-driving cars. Uh, and I think that's causing a lot of problems. And then just maybe a lot of bad examples of behavior on the uh, social webs and the interwebs and social media and stuff. But uh, And that is one of the biggest things that we really try to, um, to bring attention to, our driving behaviors that um, our young teen drivers and even younger are seeing us do behind the wheel. Um, they are our future road users. And we are giving them not very good examples behind wheel um, with speeding and uh, not only speeding, but we are using our uh, technical devices while we're behind the wheel. And it's certainly not giving a message, a good message to our young, impressionable drivers. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to have Michelle and uh, someone from the National Road Safety Foundation on is uh, this idea of as we look at this topic of permanently extending daylight savings time. I kind of uh, vaguely being old enough to be young enough at the time to just barely remember when we tried this back in the 70s. And I don't even think it lasted as long as it was supposed to back then. They nixed it right away. And one of the big things, and it came to fruition, uh, Michelle, was the increased number of problems and accidents with uh, involved with the children and, and folks waiting for buses and getting to school in the morning 
because of these much later sunrise times. Where I live here in State College, we're going to talk about a sunrise after 8.30 in the morning towards the end of December, early January. There's places where it could be 9 a.m., like Detroit and out on the western side of the eastern time zone, that it's going to be closer to 9 o'clock. And, you know, there's going to be a whole month to two months of post-8 a.m. sunrises in the heart of the winter. And unfortunately, I think that isn't something that maybe the Senate folks took into consideration as much. We're seeing some pushback on that now as this process heads over to the House. But I know the folks at uh, NRSF have some some ideas about their opinions on this situation. Yeah, not just NRSF, but a lot of our safety partners. We're very concerned about this. Um, and I think I can safely speak on behalf of my safety partners out there that, you know, keeping daylight savings year round, it, it will help with traffic safety um, since there'll be less driving in, in darkness. Um, we know that uh, the majority of car crashes, they happen during the night hours um, when the sun goes down. Uh, that's when we have more crashes. But it feels to me like, you know, most kids are actually up at the crack of dawn with us parents now in the six, seven hour, getting out the door to seven, seven thirty. And so if we're having a sunrise closer to eight thirty or even nine for uh, a few weeks, that that might be a little bit dangerous. I know the numbers of those problems went up last time this was tried. So is that something that's mitigating the benefits of having the later sunset versus the earlier sunrise? Is that something that you guys are looking at as well? Um, well, we're trying to look at it from different perspectives and keeping everyone in mind. Again, as you and I um, talked about a little bit earlier, um, we, we thought about the, the fact about agriculture. Um, there's just so many different factors that need to be considered, and we just want to be mindful of everyone. But our primary concern is the late, uh, the dark hours where car crashes um, can go up significantly. And that's something that we're doing our best to try and avoid. And as well, as I just mentioned, that a lot of drivers will be drowsy on our roads because, um, you know, your, your body is not getting that proper rest. And at times when, you know, your mind can play certain tricks on you. And when you have so much uh, 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 not of that daylight time, you know, that your body is kind of telling you that's your time to kind of shut down. So, yeah, no, I, I understand that. I, I think I think there's the argument whether or not, you know, those effects are caused by changing it back and forth. And so yeah. then the, the deciding factor becomes if you're going to keep it standard. Keep it. You right. keep it. Do you keep it daylight savings time or do you keep it standard time? And so I think that's something that we're going to see work down. And as I said, uh, we're we're already seeing that uh, that conversation shift a little bit more and some of these ideas being brought up as this uh, moves into the House of Representatives. Michelle, thanks so much for being with us here on Everything Under the Sun on AccuWeather.com. Thank you, Dean. More information and some really good driving resources are available at the website of the National Road Safety Foundation, and it is at NRSF. That's N as in Nancy, R as in Ralphs, S as in Sam, F as in Fred, NRSF.org. And you can find all the information that you need. Thanks to Michelle for joining us. So you can see there's all kinds of differing thoughts about this. I don't know that we're going to solve anyone's uh, 
issues here to decide which one is better than the other. I think there's going to be a lot of debate going forward. We're going to talk about this a little bit from a meteorological standpoint and also get a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. And friends, winter is going to get some revenge on the Great Lakes in the Northeast while the warmth surges in the West. It's going to be an interesting weather week and maybe even two weeks with the potential for another dive of cold air and maybe some storminess towards the end of the following week. John Porter joins me up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com as we continue with Episode 4 of our spring series as we head into the last weekend of March. Little winter's revenge coming, though, on this first full weekend of spring to the Great Lakes in the Northeast while the West heats up. And uh, it's going to be a kind of a volatile week and a half, two weeks here with some interesting weather to talk about. And, of course, we're kind of wrapping up that uh, opening raise a focus segment in this discussion about the permanency of daylight saving time that uh, that proposal from the Senate. I'm joined now by vice president and our chief forecaster, John Porter. Uh, John, you know, we were talking about this with a little mini discussion offline uh, in the last day or two. And, you know, meteorologically, this does not affect the types of weather that we have if we make this change to daylight savings time. But I think, you know, as we talk about this, uh, the delayed sunrise in the morning in the heart of winter could create some struggles for us that we haven't talked about. Like um, in winter events in that heart of winter, I mean, sure, in December in the northern hemisphere, you don't get a ton of sun angle. and But every little bit helps. So I think <laughs> with later sunrises, in the heart of December and early January, we're going to have some longer problems with people maybe having more school delays. I think that's a, a fair s- a situation that we could say. And, you know, areas that are prone to fog, they're going to take a lot longer in the uh, daylight uh, to get uh, some relief from that. So those are some things that we could see meteorologically. But I mean, I've not seen a, a subject that elicits more different opinions And I think we're just seeing those break down again, as we see so many, John, in kind of the ways that we live. And we're seeing different people in different parts of the country living in different ways. There's an urban attitude about this, which I think is different than a more rural one. And it's going to be an interesting concept as uh, they kind of try to sort it out in Washington. It seems like after the Senate kind of snuck it through on a Tuesday when there was a guy who they would not have let this go unanimously at all was not on the Senate floor. And that's how it got kind of through on that Tuesday. And now it seems bogged down. It doesn't look like folks in the house are real. A lot of them are real happy about permanent daylight savings time. And a lot of governors aren't, especially in States where the sunrises would be so late in the winter. So it's going to be an interesting thing that we t- see about this aspect of it. But again, like I said, meteorologically, it's not a big deal about the weather itself, but maybe the impacts as we go. No, I think it goes to, Dean, as you as we've talked a lot about on the show here, the impacts of the weather. And as you said, this is an, a topic that is uh, it seems to be eliciting some very strong opinions across the uh, across the country in a lot of different ways. And uh 
it will be interesting to see if there is a consensus that can be reached about that going forward. But from a weather perspective, a weather impact perspective, what you speak about in terms of uh, the concerns about extra problems with roads, uh, when you get, especially in a very marginal situation, when that extra incoming solar radiation through the clouds, you know, sometimes people don't recognize just how much of an impact that can actually have. And it does have an impact and it does help to start, um, you know, creating a scenario where uh, you're, you're melting uh, right. some of that, uh, some of that ice and that uh, will be a factor in terms of the timing, if there's a shift as it relates to that in some events. And I do think it's fair to say that's going to cause the risk for increased school delays, especially yeah. because even a little bit of that solar radiation does help in starting to improve those travel conditions. And it's just not going to happen um, in some scenarios. It'll be delayed. And, and you know, that time of year, too, uh, especially when we have brief warm ups over colder ground, we get foggy mornings that you know, um, it can be really detrimental to travel safety wise, getting kids to school and, you know, getting in and out of the airports and stuff. And there may be some areas where, you know, normally in the winter that would have cleared up maybe by lunchtime. I mean, it could be early afternoon till we see some of those foggy days clear up in some spots, creating more problems as well. That's another area that I think uh, people aren't thinking about. And, and, um, you know, it's You're right just, because that's that uh, that and in that particular scenario, that uh, incoming sunlight helps to uh, create a situation where the atmosphere then begins to mix. And when you do that, that when you get that vertical motion, that mixing going on, that's when you are able to bring down some of that drier air from just above the ground and start to uh, eliminate some of that fog. And uh, that is the kind of situation that you, you need the. Uh, the incoming solar radiation to do that. So you change the, the clocks, you delay that a little bit. Um, and that will also have, that's a good, I haven't heard people talking about that, Dean. I think that's an important point as well, that those poor visibilities could last longer into the morning, causing more travel troubles. Well, we've got some winter to come here. And as we take a shift here to looking at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond, uh, the Great Lakes in the Northeast, I call, uh, we've been calling it on AccuWeather Winter's Revenge here as we get right. into the first full weekend of spring um you know our folks in the long range department paul passlock and that group have been talking about this that we'd get a nice little break and then there would be a surge of cold air late march early april that's been in the spring forecast for a while and so mm -hmm. this is not unexpected i'm nope. a little i'm a little sad because my daffodils and my crocuses and you know like some of my peonies are starting to push their leaves pretty high up and so I haven't had the heart to tell them that they're going to suffer through some freezing temperatures here for a couple of days. But um, look, you talked about that sun angle and and our founder and CEO, Dr. Joel Myers, has always been a, talking about March sun and even April sun now as we get closer to the change of the, the uh, calendar next week. And so when we have these winter events, it's harder to get it to stick, but it really depends on what time it comes in. And there's a couple of spots as we go through this weekend in this kind of uh, surges of Arctic air, it's really coming in waves. And one of the first waves, I think, is late Friday night, Saturday morning. I'm worried about Detroit because that's when it's coming in right in the morning hours when it still could stick a little bit, maybe not so much later in the day. And then later on, as you get into Saturday night, early Sunday, that focus shifts places like 
Pittsburgh, up through areas like State College, the Laurel Highlands of Western Pennsylvania, and then up through the mountainous regions as you go up into um, interior parts of New York State and into New England. I think there's going to be some problems with uh, some some snow that sticks, at least through the overnight hours in the morning. Could be a couple of few inches of accumulation in the Laurel Highlands and some wintry problems that, yes, will alleviate by Sunday afternoon with some solar energy, but there could be some issues there in those areas. And in addition to all of that, Dean, which I agree with, it's just going to be a setback in terms of the, how it feels to people right, right. Uh, after uh, some mild uh, times here in the uh, in the Northeast. And I, too, uh, I'm kind of sad about it because my two-year-old daughter loves to get outside in warm weather. And we've been doing a lot of that lately, but that's not going to be uh, happening with uh, with these types of temperatures uh, coming in. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the March sun effect, as uh, as Joel appropriately cause calls it it really makes a big impact in terms of accumulating the the ability to accumulate snow uh, on roads and also on other surfaces uh, at this time of the year and it especially when, during the night as you said in early morning hours that's a timing thing where you can uh, get some of those uh, accumulations and then also as you say in the higher elevations where it is a bit colder and uh, those two factors, I think, are going to play a role in the Northeast this weekend, as you talked about. And I'm afraid there'll be uh, the risk for another snow event, especially in the interior Northeast and the Great Lakes, perhaps later next week and the next weekend we'll have to watch. Right. There looks like there's another after this surge of direct Arctic air comes in probably centered like uh, the Great Lakes. The worst day is Sunday, and then it eases a little bit as we get into Monday. The new Northeast, the worst day of the cold is Monday, starts to ease. But then there's another push. Doesn't look as deep as this first one later next week. And there's the possibility that that could spin up something along the eastern seaboard that the models are already hitting at. And when they're hitting at something like that this early, we got to pay attention you know, every uh, reaction is an opposite. Uh, every action, there's an opposite reaction. And meanwhile, the cold dive in the east, there's a warm surge in the west. And folks out west are going to get some spring fever going with some very warm temperatures in places like Texas back to uh, uh, the interior southwest. But then there's a storm that looks like it's coming into the Pacific coast as we get later in the weekend, early next week. And another storm brewing then in the Pacific Northwest that could come over to the top, be the impetus for that coastal storm eventually next week. A very active pattern on the way with these temperature dichotomies. It is. And that's the kind of, as you, as we've talked about, those kinds of uh, temperature variations uh, certainly uh, enhance the risk for storminess. And we've got plenty of that. Dean, the storm coming into to central and southern California uh, later this weekend into early next week is a big deal. It is. There's been a flash drought occurring across uh, California, especially uh, coastal sections in southern California that have had, in some cases, two to five percent of their typical rainfall during the rainy season, typically the rainy season so far, you know, in the early months of the year, they just haven't had the rainfall that they need. That's a real concern heading into wildfire season and the heart of agriculture season. We're expecting one to maybe two inches of rainfall in parts of the LA area, maybe about a half inch to an inch in San Francisco. And some spots may get up to three inches or even higher than that in some of the persistent uh, downpours across Southern California. It's welcome rainfall, Dean, but it's going to come 
too too fast in too some fast, places. Yeah. Risk for flash flooding, flooding in those areas, mudslides, right? And then just yep. just the whole idea when it doesn't rain for so long out there, and even a little bit of rain, it creates this film. It's hard to mm. propose. It's almost kind of like an icy film, but it's not. It's just a slippery kind of a oily film because oily of film, all the yeah. right yeah and it's just it's just a mess i mean the, they can have terrible conditions with just not a lot of rain after they've been dry so this long so yeah and uh, then that same stuff. storm then that same storm system is going to progress to the east and we're going to be dealing with yet again another widespread significant risk for severe thunderstorms including tornadoes and importantly flash flooding in some of the same places that had flooding problems and heavy rainfall this week, next week is going to be a very volatile weather week. You want to stay tuned to AccuWeather. We have a lot to talk about on this. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday in the middle of the country uh, yep. could be explosive again. And yep. this is part and parcel of what our friends in the Long Range Stevens have been telling us, that it would be early and often this severe weather season with violent weather and repeated rains that is going to cause flooding issues. John, thanks so much. I know you're busy and I appreciate it. It's uh, going to be an interesting couple of weeks and everybody can weatherproof their life by sticking with AccuWeather.com, our website, our app, and everywhere else you get the AccuWeather forecast. You got it. You can follow John on Twitter at his Twitter handle, RealJohnPorter. That's R-E-A-L-J-O-N-P-O-R-T-E-R, RealJohnPorter on Twitter. Thanks to our guests, Dr. Jocelyn Chang from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and also Michelle Anderson, Director of Operations from the National Road Safety Foundation. And thanks to you, our listeners. Uh, Your feedback is always welcome. I knew this topic about daylight savings times permanency would be a hot topic, and I'm sure we'll get some more reaction. To change or not to change, that is the question, but I don't know that we're going to get the answer here very soon, the way things seem to be bogged down in Washington. We'll keep an eye on that. Next week, we'll talk about where the weather meets your life. That's what we do here on Everything Under the Sun. Thanks to all of our hundreds of team members that will work hard this weekend to keep you informed about winter's wallop in the Great Lakes in the Northeast and that summery surge out west. And the stormy next week that's ahead. You can check us out on our website, AccuWeather.com, on our great AccuWeather app, and also through our AccuWeather media partners across the country, including those great radio stations I happen to be on. Many thanks to our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, for providing all the support I need to create this podcast every week. And we'll talk to you next week. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.